Hello from the Financial Times in London. I'm Jyotsna Singh, Delhi reporter, and this is News in Focus, where we offer our insights into the stories that matter. India this week revoked the special status of the disputed Himalayan state of Jammu and Kashmir, removing its autonomy after a long-running insurgency that has led to thousands of deaths. In a stunning move, Delhi split the country's only Muslim-majority state into two smaller territories that will allow the federal government greater control over the region. Amy Kazman, the FT's South Asia Bureau Chief, is with me to discuss India's motivation for the move and how neighbouring Pakistan, which also claims the territory, has reacted. Amy, tell us what motivated the Indian government to take this drastic action in scrapping the special constitutional provisions given to Jammu and Kashmir. Kashmir has been one of India's most restive states. It has suffered from a long-running separatist insurgency, which has waned somewhat in the last few years, but there's strong separatist sentiment. For two decades, there was intensive fighting in Kashmir. More than 45,000 people were killed. And the Modi government feels that one of the big reasons for the strong separatist sentiment and antagonism towards India is that in Kashmir, the benefits of growth and economic development that are being seen in other parts of the country haven't reached. And they have basically identified Article 370 and the special rights and protections that it gives to Kashmir as one of the major causes for what they say is a lack of economic progress. Article 370 had banned outsiders from buying property in the state. It also banned outsiders from having government jobs or getting government scholarships. And the government in New Delhi has argued that these restrictions have been a major deterrent to productive investment. And they feel that ending these protections for Kashmir and opening the door to outside investment and outsiders will help bring development to the state and as a result help subdue separatist sentiment and better integrate Kashmir with the rest of the country. How did Jammu and Kashmir end up with a special status? Jammu and Kashmir's special protections and the rights that it had that kept it a bit separate from the rest of India stems from the very turbulent times in 1947 when it joined the Indian Union. At the time of the end of British colonial rule in India, the erstwhile princely states that were not totally part of British India, but still had their local Maharajas, were given the freedom to decide whether to join Hindu-majority India or Muslim-majority Pakistan. For most princely states, which were embedded within the larger territories of the two new nations, the answers to these questions were fairly obvious. But for Jammu and Kashmir, it was a little complicated. It was wedged absolutely between the new state of India and the new state of Pakistan. And also, it was a Hindu Maharaja who was ruling over a Muslim-majority population. So it is said that the Muslim-majority population was more in favor of joining Pakistan. The Hindu ruler wavered. And in October 1947, Pakistani irregulars invaded the princely state of Jammu and Kashmir. And at that point, 
the Maharaja Hari Singh made his choice. He rang New Delhi and asked for military support to fend off the Pakistani invaders. And Jawaharlal Nehru is believed to have said to him that he had to agree to join India and then Nehru would send help. But it was agreed at that time that Jammu and Kashmir's accession to the Indian Union would give New Delhi control over Kashmir's foreign affairs, defense, and communications, but that it would retain autonomy in all other internal matters. And this informal understanding and agreement was formalized in Article 370, which gave the local state government of Jammu and Kashmir the right to control many aspects, including deciding which laws of the rest of India would be applied in Jammu and Kashmir, which aspects of the Indian constitution would apply in Jammu and Kashmir. And it also allowed them to pass certain laws that gave those defined as permanent state residents certain rights, including the right to buy property and to certain government benefits, which barred outsiders from enjoying these privileges. What is the situation in Jammu and Kashmir, which continues to be in lockdown? How have people reacted? I mean, the truth is nobody really has any idea how people have reacted because the state has been completely cut off both with the outside world and even within itself. Telecommunication links are completely down. No phones, no internet. I've even heard that there's no cable TV. So really there's very limited means of Kashmiris to communicate their points of view and their feelings about this matter to the outside world. Access by journalists is completely restricted. There are soldiers everywhere, barbed wire, barricades. Movement in the state is completely impossible. And people are basically being confined to their houses. The government has given no indication of how long this lockdown will continue or when it intends to try to restore any semblance of normal life. So it's very, very difficult to know what the kind of mood of the average Kashmiri is. Some political leaders have managed to communicate and Kashmiris outside have managed to communicate but the mainstream political leaders who have been part of the Indian political process, they've also been put under arrest and taken to government custody. So I think that the government is definitely expecting that this move is going to be highly unpopular, that it could cause protests and unrest, and that is why there is lockdown. So I think we have to take it by the conditions on the ground that they're not expecting this to be met with public jubilation. India insists this is an internal matter, but neighboring Pakistan also claims Kashmir as its own territory. How has Pakistan reacted? I mean, Pakistan has issued very strong words in support of the Kashmiris, and they've condemned the Indian government move. But the reality is that although this is technically disputed territory and remains kind of an unresolved issue, Pakistan in the part of Kashmir held by India, I mean, in reality, it has 
little influence. But the concern that India has is that Pakistan, which has long stoked trouble and helped support the violent armed insurgency that devastated the state for two decades, that they will try to once again fish in troubled waters and send in highly trained armed militants, provide support for discontented Kashmiris to take up the gun. I think that is the concern that India has and certainly a well-founded concern. Of course, Pakistan doesn't say that they're going to do things like that, but they have said that they will raise their concerns about the treatment of Kashmir and Kashmiris at all international forums. So I think we can expect to hear that Pakistan will make a lot of noise about the conditions in Kashmir. The international reaction, aside from that of Pakistan, has been very, very muted. The United States has merely taken note of the developments. They've been very, very neutral and guarded in their comments. I think the international reaction from here on in will be very much dependent on what exactly happens on the ground, how long these restrictions on Kashmiris and the lack of communications lasts, and what happens when the Indian government begins to relax the tight controls that it has on people and begins to try to allow normal life to resume. So how do you see this drama playing out? Can New Delhi get away with this? There's no doubt that this is a very, very big gamble by Prime Minister Modi's government. They did very, very little to prepare the population of Kashmir for this move. They've done very little to build a consensus or try to sell to Kashmiris about why this move could benefit them in the long run. The kind of way that this was carried out with the entire population on lockdown and cut off from each other in the outside world indicates how poorly the ground has been prepared. What the government is betting is that somehow a delivery of jobs and opportunity and a boom will win public support. But it's a very big gap between what is the situation today and that vision of the prosperous future. And I think that it's going to be a real challenge for the Modi government to navigate this and ensure that it doesn't just end up with a situation that the restrictions are lifted, people come out, they start protesting, there's again violence and bloodshed. There's a real danger that it spirals into just a renewed cycle of protests and violence, which many Kashmiri businessmen would argue is the real true reason for the lack of development and progress in Kashmir. It's not necessarily that investors couldn't come and couldn't buy up a piece of land. There are arrangements for the long-term lease of land by would-be investors. Many Kashmiris feel the real reason for lack of investment is the fact that the place has been under a de facto military occupation where there's frequent protests, long-term shutdowns, long-term curfews, and no real normality. And that that is, in fact, always been the biggest hurdle to growth and opportunity. And the problem is, it's not clear what is the government's roadmap for getting from what they have today, which is a population under lockdown and, you know, probably rather unhappy about it, to a kind of a future of growth and prosperity. Thanks, Amy, and thanks for listening. Don't forget, if you missed our recent episodes on Russia's futuristic tax system, opposition to Erdogan in Turkey, or the decline of the renminbi, 
You can find them on all the usual podcast platforms.